Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Crunching the numbers. Thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. A mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north, which has tennis for everyone. Perfect for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete. Close to Melbourne Airport with accommodation available. Find out more at humetennis.com.au. Hello and welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. Uh, this is Stephen Huss. As usual, I'm with Chris Tons, and uh, today we have a special guest. But before we uh, introduce our guest, how are you firstly, Chris? I'm doing great. It's good to be home. I get to be home for a few days and leave for Miami. Okay, and I, I want to bring up uh, your player, Claire Liu. Uh, she won her first round there at Indian Wells, and then uh, she ran into Iga, not just number one in the world. She's number one in the world by about 4,500 you know, points. So she's been basically dominating women's tennis since Australia's Ash Barty retired. Claire had the challenge of playing her, but you had the challenge of kind of preparing to play her. The match went quickly in Iga's favour, which, uh, which we didn't like to see, but I'd like to, you know, can you give a bit of an insight of what it was like to, prepare for that match against the world number one and some of your impressions around Claire playing against her? I think I was telling um, your buddy Brett that, uh, you know, how, how do you like your chances? And I said, I like my chances in every match. But uh, I knew it was going to be tough. I, I She's playing well. So, I mean, the goal I thought for Claire was her second serve is a kick and Claire likes to take those and come in. I didn't, I wanted to see her start the match and try to put pressure on that and not try to extend points too much. I felt like once the point went on longer, Iga's what I didn't know and what, well, I knew, but I was really impressed with when she was on offense. If Claire put anything short, she was under so much pressure because you, you always hear about how good Iga is with defending too. She, she can do everything. One thing that stood out is like Djokovic, she's so stingy with the mistakes. She, she, she doesn't give much away. She moves well. Getting her on the corners can be a little dangerous because she can get out there and hit from anywhere. So, you know, we even practice like find the right ball to if she stretches you to try to go back, cross, maybe play more middle. But yeah, Claire started poorly, which I knew was going to be trouble. She had to start well early and is when Iga's swinging, it was, she was just under constant pressure. But that being said, anytime you take a loss like that, or I didn't take the loss, but for Claire, you know, it's a good lesson. So it's how you take it. She got exposed on things she didn't like. And so we had a good, honest talk and it, it actually made her more willing to work on the things that she knows she doesn't want to work on. So the last two days have been great. We were out the next morning at 8 a.m. trying to get out there and actually make some adjustments it, it, even a few technical adjustments with her, which is always a challenge. So there was some positives to it, but it went so fast. It was, it was embarrassing. <laughs> 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 embarrassing. 
<laughs> I heard you say that, uh, yeah, actually, it was Claire that lost. So as long as you stick to that when she wins, you know, you, you got to give her all the credit when she yeah. wins. So I'm, yeah. I'm watching you, Chris. I tell, I tell Claire when, when, when you lose, it's, uh, it's both of our faults, and when you win, it's yours. Uh, I think that's, that's a good policy. Anyways. All right. Well, thanks for the insight, Chris. And that's, uh, yeah, that's cool that Claire bounced straight back, wanted to be on the practice court the very next morning. And if you can, uh, you can take some motivation from that and that spurs her to do something better, then that's fantastic. All right. Let's get to, uh, I think this is the first time we've had a guest on, uh, on crunching the numbers. Our guest today is Mark Draper, who's a, a high-performance coach at the National Academy in, in Brisbane, Australia. Um, I've known Mark for a very long time. He actually had the unfortunate role of, of trying to help me for a period of time during my career. Um, but, you know, he's worked with a, a lot of good players, done a lot of work with John Millman over his career. And he's uh, currently working with uh, Adam Walton and also Rinky Hijikata, who's the recent Australian Open doubles champion, um, but uh, also really climbing the rankings in singles and doing fantastically well. I think he's up to a 130. So, Mark Draper, welcome, bud. How are you doing? Good to be here, Hussey. Thanks for having me, mate. No, no worries. I wanted to uh, ask you on, on this little podcast that Chris and I do, uh, we, you know, we talk a lot about numbers, data and analytics. Um, I think it, for a while it was creeping into tennis and I think now it's probably exploded into tennis so just in general um as someone that's been you know in the game both as a player yourself um you know very successful player i think you reached about 150 in the world in singles um and now into coaching for um quite a while how do you view data and analytics and all the numbers that we're getting now that we didn't get before it's unbelievable like the information that we can get these days i, I still Probably am a little bit old school in that I like to use it as a supplement to what I see. Um, I like to watch a lot of vision and, you know, try to pick up a lot of, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses that game. But having said that, you can also miss some things sometimes. And so, you know, we have a great team at home who, you know, send a lot of detailed information through to us, which... You know, hopefully we can we can incorporate into getting the better of some of these opponents. Nice. So when you talk about your team that you tap into, be a bit more specific. Is that um, is that someone that the player pays, or is it Tennis Australia, or who is it? It's Tennis Australia. So um, there's actually three guys that I'm dealing with who work in the performance analysis department. Simon Ray is one of them, who's a good friend, and obviously uh, Coach Nick Kyrgios back in the day, and you know, Ray's is an absolute legend. And uh, so I've, I've been. Um, you know, chatting, corresponding with him over the course of the last six months or so with a lot of Rinky's matches. Ricky Arn is another one who who will often send through vision and, you know, coded matches for us to have a look at. And uh, Thomas Perry is also another guy that's working in um, in that space in Brisbane. So between the three of them, you know, I've got pretty good uh, resources to, to, to call out to if I need it. So, Mark, when let's say when you take a look at these analytics reports that, that you get and you're scouting, what's the is there anything that you look at first? I remember when I first got these and I wasn't really familiar with, with much, the only thing I would kind of look at is the serve tendencies. Now I've kind of moved on and like things when I'm scouting, like to see like is and you see this maybe more in women's tennis maybe not but do they take one side more cross court do they like to change more you know those are things you can pick up and then you can look at the reports and see if, if that's true but is there anything that stands out to you when you, you look at some of these reports like this is pretty important well yeah I, I think for a lot of the players chris and um Rinky's no different the serve tendencies is a big one he, he likes knowing actually probably a bit of a unique one he likes knowing 
where the tendency is on the first point of the game. He likes to get off to a love 15 start so he can, you know, swing a bit more freely and hopefully put a bit of scoreboard pressure on early in the game. So, yeah, if there's a if there's a strong tendency on the first point of the game, he wants to know what it is. And then, obviously, general tendencies and, and break points are, you know, the two other ones that I think we all want to have a, you know, a decent understanding of. Re- return tendencies are great. And I think I think with any data, for me at least, you, you want to have a pretty strong tendency or, you know, because sometimes, you know, if there's nothing that's sort of standing out, then there's nothing to really hang your hat on. But, um, you know, as an example, Ricky had to play uh, Hampton first round of the Australian Open. And through the vision we watched and also the, the data that we that we were sent and that we collected, you know, we realised that particularly of his foreign wing, he returned almost exclusively across his body from both courts, you know. So, and to the point where it was a tricky one because if it was in his strike zone, he actually was very, very good hitting it across his body. But if you could get him stretched a little bit more that's when the errors started to come. So there was a fairly big requirement on how well you executed your serve if you were going to go there. Gregory Barrea was another one, exactly the same as that, uh, a strong tendency to to return across his body, which Rinky likes to know because, you know, he, he's one that likes to use serve volley as a bit of a variation play. So if you kind of know where uh, someone's returning, then you can obviously sit on that first volley a little bit more. And he's got a pretty good inside out forehand volley. So as an example, if someone's you know, pulling that point across court, then that's that sort of sits up well for him. I, I remember just based on that, I was, I think last year, Claire was playing this girl who had a big serve. I always like the first two points. Those are big points to, toward winning a game. And after about three games, I told her, Claire, she's just going, starting forehand and wide. She's going wide, wide. Did that for the entire match. So as the match went on, Claire was just waiting on the serve. And sometimes, I don't know if coaches realize that, but I, I can think of two girls and two big name players, and they're going to start every game out wide on the deuce. Big serve, so then you you know, okay, that gives me a start in this game. And in that match as well, like he probably got burnt actually a couple of times in the first uh, first two sets because he, you know, he went to the well backing himself uh, down the ad court to the to the juice. Um, the scout we has with, was his forehand return was probably a bit more dangerous, but backhand a bit more solid. And so, you know, Rinky, you know, went there on a couple of break points and um, the guy just clocked a couple of inside in clean winners. And so, yeah, that, that cost him a couple of breaks in the in the first two sets. And so I had to make a couple of adjustments for the rest of the match and be a little bit more prudent as to when to use it. But yeah, beyond that, I guess the usual data, like you want to know, obviously, strengths, weaknesses, where they're making more unforced errors, more winners, um, what part of the court this is all inclined to happen from. And then beyond that, having a look at a bunch of vision so you can get a, a clearer picture as well as to, perhaps the height the spin the pace that some of these areas are are, are coming from because sometimes the data doesn't quite tell you that mark one question i had was do you also use the data to self-scout the players that you work with you're assessing their strengths and weaknesses through the data i use pro tracker I'd say for the majority of the matches that I, that I watch, sometimes I won't use it if I know it's going to be a televised match that the guys back at home can code and and send me the information. But I, I like to use the Pro Tracker app. It's just an app, you know, that you can anyone can download. I think I paid just a, a nominal fee each year. It's basically it just tracks serve location, return location, and then key shot. You know, you're missing out on some things like maybe rally length and that kind of thing. But I find it, it, it at least and and you also have the capacity to break it down to um, subcategories like you know what's happening on what point. You have scatter diagrams that you can see where the winners' errors have come from from what part of the court. You know where they've been hit from. So as an example, when I was working with Tristan Schoolkate. 
Uh, he had a strong tendency to be pulling his forehand inside in from the left half of the court, you know, way too much. So there was a couple of situations where, you know, I, I was using the pro track. I was able to sit him down, show him all the errors that were coming, you know, from his forehand were basically, you know, when he was pulling the ball inside in too much, you know, because sometimes they don't quite believe you if you, if you tell them. So you need to, <laughs> I, I suppose, show them the evidence. And, uh, and that was good because he, uh, he saw it, made the adjustment the next couple of matches and, um, and got the result we were looking for, you know, following that. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't have to, well, it is tracked in, in some cases, but one thing that when you, when you look at the game, it, it, it's getting faster. Have you noticed that? I, I tagged the, the Djokovic, Tsitsipas, the Australian Open final, and they were they're just cracking the ball. To me, it just seems like the game keeps getting bigger and bigger. So do you have any thoughts on that? Have you noticed that? Is, is it something that you keep in the back of your mind? Like like someone with Rinky is, hey, we, we got to continue to work on the racket head speed. Yeah, look, uh, I think we've all seen that the... Uh... The game, the game is pretty powerful and, and and very physical these days. With with Rinky, he really likes to go after the ball, and I'd say pound for pound, he actually can generate quite a bit and likes to back himself to you know to keep his points a little shorter and probably to a fault sometimes. I'd say I'd say that's an area that we're working a little bit, like his shot tolerance to extend rallies and you know maybe sometimes his ability under pressure to not pull the trigger too quickly can be improved. But having said that, there's a fine line, isn't there? Because he's a good mover, but I wouldn't say he's the most rapid mover on tour so if he gets maybe on the other side of the coin where it gets a little bit too passive then these guys who can hit the ball a ton can expose him a little bit out wide for me i'd i'd like to see him keep backing himself and over time the execution will come he'll he'll get a a clearer understanding of exactly how much to temper his aggression that's excellent I, I like that like Claire's the same way she's good with the quick points pretty good but then you play someone like let's say Savalenka or Samsonova Kudermetova some of these girls and, and they're basically trying to hit winners she loves getting to the net but you're not getting to the net in those matches because the points are fast and it's so for for me it's kind Kind of like, yeah, definitely we keep working a little bit on the rally ball speed. I can always get better, even though it's still above average. becomes clear at the better levels when you start getting higher and higher, she needs to work on her defense more because these girls are going to make you defend a little bit more. I, I don't know if that's the same in, in the men's game as much. Good learning curve a little bit the other night. Rinky got whacked pretty badly by um, Sebastian Baez in the second round of Indian Wells. And admittedly, the conditions were tricky. It was a bit of a choppy wind out there so it wasn't super easy to play aggressive tennis but it was at night time the conditions were fairly slow and and dead you know there was there was a requirement to be able to extend the rallies a little bit because you just couldn't hit through the guy he was moving too well you couldn't get him off balance he wasn't making any unforced errors and so then it becomes that um that cat and mouse game which which rinky actually likes you know he's he's quite good at, at a tactical match but yeah he just he, he just was having a hard time finding answers as to how hard to go and how often and and and, and i thought it highlighted how well some of these guys do defend out of the corners that's the tough thing is how you prioritize that is originally i felt like claire you still need to get better when you're inside the court which is something i track but then you start playing these players and and you know they're actually maybe the movement isn't as good as some of these tall girls but they're trying to hit winners and it's okay at the better levels you're probably going to need to defend more just based on who's at the top so 
that's the challenge is how do you prioritize and so that's good to hear the beauty of tennis isn't it always things to work on and just that constant um evaluation of uh you know do we need to prioritize the strengths and and, and accentuate them a little bit more or do we need to plug the holes and what balance and what ratio to, to to work on that's perhaps why uh people will always need coaches so hopefully the uh data and analytics and the numbers don't completely take over so uh you blokes can stay in a job <laughs> Perfect. um and it's interesting, isn't it? When you talk about it, uh, environment, I mean, you know, I think maybe data analysts would say, oh, we can track that. But there's a massive difference to play at Indian Wells during the day when it's, you know, 27 degrees Celsius. Then And then it's at night, it can be 15 degrees. You know, during the day, it's so bouncy, so lively altitude there. And, the, and, and at night, it's just like you said, the dead conditions, the ball doesn't bounce as much, it's slower. Um, so those are things that, you know, the player needs to allow for and has to use their brain and like you said that's why tennis is a game not just a um, not just a hitting fest so pretty cool stuff I got to watch Kubler play um, uh, Dimitrov I was so impressed with Dimitrov's he his out wide on the deuce I think he had 30 plus aces in that match before he retired I actually called Kubler to win that boy Dimitrov was putting that serve on a dime repeat that wide on the deuce Kubler had no answer for because it was so short in the box and it was so good and he stuck around long enough and got the win which is pretty cool I, I watched yeah most of that match and uh, again it's the beauty of tennis if you if you hang around long enough because he, he got outplayed pretty much for the entire first two sets and just kept hanging onto his serve and, and then uh, Dimitrov pulled up lame early in the third so yeah, yeah take the win i love a good competitive uh, victory so well done to Coobs. that's great mark from the end of last year uh rinky got to play you know two of the best players in the game he, he played medvedev in carbo and then he played uh, nadal in new york and so i'm curious as to with the data and analytics support you had from home and some of the numbers that you would have looked at in preparing for you know medvedev who's one of the very top players in the world right now and nadal who's absolutely one of the best ever i know you've got an unbelievable eye for coaching and seeing the game but did you did you grab anything from you know the reports that you were given from the analytics uh, from the support that you got from home can you share a little bit without giving too much away I guess with with Rinky but can you share a little bit about what Rinky was trying to do against those you know stars of the game against Medvedev Hussey I kind of like the matchup when I say that I obviously was under no illusions that it could have gone badly for him but I always feel like Rinky has a chance when he's got time to play you know when he's got time to to strategize a little bit in a match you know he likes to as i say come in a little bit use his serve volley got a pretty good slice backhand which he can kind of maneuver at different depths and so i always felt like he could turn it into a little bit of a, a tactical cat and mouse battle you know we were obviously just looking for again you know some serve tendencies from Medvedev just so he could get a little bit of an early read on the on the serve but beyond that it was just more you know using a lot more serve volley than he ordinarily would because Medvedev is so deep in the court you know just trying to serve volley out wide to both courts because we just kind of felt like if he can get his racket on anything and you know dump it short in the court then he's got a long way to run he actually had some pretty good success doing that and also felt that against those big name players and I think Chris alluded to it recently when you're playing those big name players you want to get onto the scoreboard as quickly as possible so you don't feel like oh my god you know this could turn into a rout you know fortunately he started okay and and, and got some you know some decent 
serve volley executions away early on, you know, got it to one all, two all, three all, and felt comfortable in the match. And as I say, he, he had a chance to, like, I think he had four, five, 40, 15 in the first set and, and probably just kind of got a bit tight and made a few unforced errors. For the most part, he looked comfortable in the match. As I say, had time to play, pulled the trigger on his forehand well when he had the chance. And like Medvedev does a lot of the time, he just kind of wears you down. There was never a chance in my mind that it was gonna, he was just going to get knocked off the court. So, yeah, he, he enjoyed that experience. He was definitely nervous going into it, but also, you know, excited for it and, and, and was looking forward to the opportunity. I think he was definitely more nervous going into playing Nadal. And certainly I was very nervous. I'm typically not a guy that gets that nervous when my player's playing, but i, I got to say I was pretty nervous for that one because... And you could, you could ask Renke, um yourself, he, he would say that historically, if he struggles against a particular type of opponent, it's a lefty that gets a fair bit of bite on the ball. Going out there against Nadal was was going to be a daunting proposition. You know, we, again, were trying to prioritise, and I know you can never, I suppose, plan your execution per se, but there was a there was a pretty big priority to try to serve well early in the match to, again, get on the board, try to make a high percentage, you know, primarily into Nadal's backhand and then use the one to the forehand a little bit more as a, as a shock serve and go after his big one if he felt like he needed a free point in the game. For me, against Nadal, I, I really didn't want him to lose his court position, so it was important to serve well and, and use his serve plus one pretty well to try to get on top of the point early and also stand up a little bit and, and go after his return and, and um, you know, not get bullied around too much right from the get-go in points he did a good job Nadal got off to a slow start in the first set was hitting the ball short which allowed Rinky to to jump on some short ones and, and as I say I think he was serving at 79% in the first serve and hitting his spots pretty well after the match it was interesting because I suppose the strategy of serving a little bit more to Nadal's backhand was maybe the wrong call because he was actually having a lot more success statistically serving to the forehand you know his numbers actually on first and second were pretty darn high and it wasn't too bad on the backhand but but maybe because Nadal's used to playing righties who were cutting it into his, his backhand on big points, he wasn't getting the success that I guess we were hoping for on, on some of those big points. That's great insight. Did he overuse the serve to the backhand? So that's why the numbers came down? Or Yeah, I'd say he was serving at around about a, a two-to-one ratio from backhand to forehand. So yeah, possibly he did, did overuse a little bit. Yeah, I would be afraid to serve to his forehand too. So I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be well, afraid to walk on the court with him, especially yeah, with his clay. <laughs> Yeah, but again, being being a lefty, uh, and and, it's, and Nadal stands pretty deep to return, so it was a bit like the Medvedev matchup where Rinky was pretty excited to to test out the serve volley, and and particularly early in the match, and maybe catch him cold a little bit, and he's spooning a couple of returns, you know, a little higher, so he can just knock off some volleys, and and again, fortunately, that's the way it it, it worked out early in the match, and and lucky for us that he, he didn't play his, his best tennis in the first set. I actually thought in a lot of ways uh, Rinky played his best tennis in the fourth set even though he didn't serve quite as well because Nadal by the fourth set was playing very good ball and I, I'd say Rinky was maybe two or three points from you know if not taking the set certainly being at like five all or six all like I was watching with the Australian Open final and Tsitsi buzz I, I did, just didn't think from the back he was going to beat Djokovic so I thought maybe the game plan going in was to mix in more serve and volley and he tried a couple early maybe wasn't effective with it and then he just scrapped it I think mm. tried to make two or three. Do you, with the exception of like Cressy, do you see any other guys that trying to serve volley more? I don't know. I saw one other guy out there. I don't think it was Hidalgo, but someone someone else was doing a little serve and volley. Do you see that at all on the men's side? Not too much, no. And isn't it a shame because uh, maybe I'm getting too old, but I just used to love watching the the serve volley versus the you know the the baseline of Jules, whether it was Lendl versus McEnroe, um, you know Edberg versus Lendl. Um, 
you know, any of those like Rafter versus Agassi, they were they were great battles to watch. And I think there's a there's a perception that it's it's almost not possible anymore to 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 serve volley a high percentage of the time. I personally still think it is if you are good and you work on it early. I guess that's a tricky one because, you know, uh, juniors want to win like anyone and perhaps it's it's a tough one to be like, well, look, you're going to lose for five years and we're going to work on this style of game and then, you know, you'll be better for it in the long run. But, yeah, it would be great to see more serve volleyers because it's a, it's a double whammy, isn't it? The, the movement and the, the returning and the baseline ability is so high these days and, and it's probably fair to say that the volleying ability is – deteriorated you know, as a generalization compared to where it was maybe in the 70s 80s 90s it's cool though to see that you have ricky trying that sprinkling it in i think that's pretty neat obviously indian wells those courts are slower than clay it's, that's tough to get away with to come in but nice to hear that a coach out there is saying hey you could you could mix this in i think i think a few players have been trying it a bit more against medvedev i think if you've got any sort of serve and movement and, and any idea around the net it's a, it's a bit of a no-brainer because at least it's asking the question of what height is he going to return over the net because if someone's staying back all the time i think he can get into the comfort yeah. zone of just returning at a certain height over the net and you know maybe he's got to think twice about his, his heights and his depths on return yeah, remember when nadal played medvedev in the u.s open final i think it was 2019 maybe at the end of the match it was a five setter i think both players had uh, had been to the net something like 60 times each they were adjusting tactics they were using their brain they were trying to expose the other person's position which is you know fantastic to see we're pretty much out of time uh, i think it's important to note that uh, um you know mark mentioned their analytics from after the match so i think uh, we got to encourage everyone to not only look at analytics before the match, but have a look at it afterwards. Uh, and there's certainly a lot to, to learn. So in, in that case, it was Rinky had more success going to the forehand. So if he plays him again, that might be something he adjusts a little bit. So just another way that uh, people can can use numbers to try and facilitate their development and improvement. But uh, Mark, thanks so much for being uh, with us today. Thanks a lot, Hussey. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You, you were average as usual. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> as usual. <laughs> thanks for your time and thanks for listening to Crunching the Numbers again. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.